0: This is so good. If someone sent you this video, it is a sign that they care about you and they hope for you to wake up. This is, I think, my favorite interview to date. We talk about what's happening in the Senate while we're all focused on the war, universal basic income, the social credit score, emotional shockwaves that shatter your reality. Sarah has quickly become one of my most favorite badasses. And if you appreciate this conversation and you want to support more of me having these conversations, please consider becoming a member of my tribe at kidcarson.com. You can become a paid subscriber. Or you can greatly help me by commenting on my last Instagram post, I can use that engagement to get support from sponsors. But most importantly, if you do nothing else, just share this podcast, share this post. That's why I'm doing this for it to be shared.
1: Good Morning. Good
0: morning. Sarah. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Am I, is Sarah Swain? Am yes, I saying that's that right? correct.
1: That's awesome. correct. And
0: whereabouts are you right now?
1: I'm in uh, rural Alberta okay. towards the foothills of the Rockies, uh, awesome. about an hour and a half northwest-ish of Calgary.
0: Gotcha. Well, it is a real thrill to meet you. Oh, you the, are, the um... pleasure
1: is all mine. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank <laughs> you for having me. You were just. Some people like you are so charismatic oh, on social you. media
0: because you know how it is. When you're waking up, it's very. Uh, it can be a very <laughs> lonely experience.
1: That's one way to put it. <laughs> so,
0: I mean, not only are you teaching people with you know what you're learning, you're also connecting with people and making people feel like okay, I'm not. I'm not a crazy person.
1: Exactly.
0: You know, and and so you just come across so authentic and raw and real oh. and like a, on your social. So I just.
1: Thank you. My, my
0: wife turned me on to you, and she's yes. like, "Oh my God, this Sarah woman is incredible." <laughs> and then I got turned on to you, and um, so oh, I everyone that follows me to to in, to meet you, you're really going down the rabbit hole.
1: Oh yes, it's been a trip.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Right? Oh my but god! But you know
1: what? You you make a good point. My my sole goal. I mean, there's a bunch of byproducts of of me using my voice that are. Um, beneficial to people for a lot of reasons, but my sole goal truly is to help people feel normal in what they are witnessing and what they're experiencing and how they're feeling and what they're seeing. Um, If anything else comes out of my rants online, awesome. But that's really what I want to help people with right now, because it is all consuming to uh, quote unquote wake up. Mm. And, uh, as someone who's gone through that process, I know how treacherous it can feel. And I know how you mentioned the word lonely. Uh, it's absolutely isolating to Mm. move through something, um, that is arguably one of the greatest disillusions of Mm. our time. So that's, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It, It just, it fell on my heart uh sometime in 2021 saying you got to start opening your mouth about this and it's one of those decisions right I mean you know it's like as soon as you start there's no going back right there's <laughs> no like oh no I'm, I'm just not going to talk about this anymore just forget what I said it's like when you commit to this you really commit to it so
0: yeah and so I want to dive into all the things the 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 things you're seeing the the disillusion the the feelings the um yeah the things that is I think a lot of people who are Stumbling across, you know, my channel I've noticed or just waking up and realizing, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. something something isn't right here mm-hmm. before we dive into all that. Can you give a little a little background on on who you are for people who yeah. are meeting you for the first time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name's Sarah Swain. I'm here in Alberta, Canada. Uh, I am a self-proclaimed serial entrepreneur. I quit my corporate job, which was oddly enough in the pharmaceutical industry uh, wow. back in. I know. I know the, the story <laughs> goes deep. Uh, back in 2017, I left my job, no backup plan, just trusted myself that I would be able to create a more aligned life, um, doing work, creating work, uh, that felt more purposeful for me. I had no idea that as of 2022, this was the type of work I'd be doing, but here we are. Um, so I run two publishing houses and I also support people in constructing, uh, digital businesses online to create their own streams of income. Um, Other than all the things I do online, I'm actually a very quiet person. I'm a homebody. I am definitely uh, someone who would be described as an introvert. Uh, I love my quiet lifestyle here in rural Alberta, uh, here with my husband and our three dogs and our cat, and my parents are here with us too. So uh, despite all of the craziness in the world, um, there's a lot to be grateful for.
0: Can we dive into you working for a pharmaceutical company a little bit yes. <laughs> that's awesome
1: <laughs> yeah it was it was a retail pharmacy chain i i i can't state their name because i am under an nda to of keep my good old mouth shut um but yeah it was it's interesting because you know hindsight's always 2020 and that was the organization i was working for that really made me start questioning my life path. Everything just felt super disjointed. Um, I felt off. I didn't feel like myself. Uh, It was kind of one of those moments where I stood back and looked at my life and um, I asked myself, how did, how did I get here? And why am I doing this work? Like, what path did I follow to land me here doing work like this? That doesn't sit right with me. And, uh, you know, fast forward to today, the disjointedness that I was feeling back then seems a little more clear to me now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, it has been a very interesting path. I've traveled professionally.
0: Was there, um, a certain moment or a set of circumstances specifically that you thought like, this is weird and I need to shift things up.
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, ND, the
0: NDA. That's right. Okay. So how can we get around this? NDA? Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm going to try and figure this is <laughs> yeah. an important part. Um, mm. But I'll, I'll describe it as as this. One of my roles was in auditing. Um, I was partnered with a large consulting firm, uh, third party to the organization I worked with as kind of being their person to be boots on the ground in the organization to help them understand where the holes may be, where the leaks in processes are, uh, where we're overspending in labor, where we're losing money as an organization to start plugging up some of those holes. And auditing pharmacies was one of those uh, job duties that I had and going into this organization, super naive. I was young. I was late twenties. I was like, wow, this is great. I'm working for this big chain and there's so much career opportunities here. And uh, just slowly, but surely starting to peel back the layers of the onion and just realizing how much money is involved in that industry Um, Not specific to that chain, but just as the industry as a whole and how pharmacies are uh, paid money and why Mm. uh, that started to just kind of make me step back and think, wow, isn't it interesting that this business model relies on people being ill in order Mm. to survive And that sparked a thought, which then, you know, usually sparked my rants around the dinner table. And I can remember I shared about this in one of my blogs because I'm blogging my whole wake up journey because it's so complex. I don't think any one of us can can pinpoint like the day that we woke up, right? It's just this tidal wave of information that comes our way. But I can remember one, one evening with my whole family. I went into this tear because it just, it it was bothering me so much. I'm like, there's so much money involved in this. And I'm not sure this is about our health. And of course that sparked a big debate in my family. I'm the black sheep of the family. I talk about all the things that makes everyone else feel uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it's just a little thread that is just part of my journey that I started to pull because it just, it felt off to me. And now I'm here in 2022, trying to save wow. the world.
0: <laughs> so much to unpack there. I mean, I, uh long, long time ago when I was in my twenties, I, I, I dated a woman who was a pharmaceutical sales rep mm. and she had the same sort of icky feeling. mm mm-hmm where she realized that her job was to wine and dine doctors.
1: Mm. And
0: when, if my memory serves me, the doctors that you know prescribed a certain amount of a certain drug were rewarded with a fancy golf trip to Vegas. Wow. All expenses paid, the whole... And, and she left that job, just yeah. much like you, because she just was like, this doesn't sit right with my soul. I didn't realize yeah. this is, it's not about... Like you said, it's, it's an industry that survives on making sure people are sick and the more sick you are, the better. Yeah. What a weird feeling when you realize that the world isn't what you think it is, especially when it comes to health.
1: Yes. And the people that you trust with your health and, you know, that takes you back down the wormhole of where did we learn all of this stuff? Where did we learn that this is the group of people that we are to trust and to not question. Um. And you know, you think about our time in our education system, whether elementary, high school, post secondary. My question started to become where were the conversations about this that promote autonomy within the individual and promote critical thinking and promote the courage to ask the hard questions? Have the uncomfortable conversations, and uh, so far, I haven't been able to pinpoint any of those experiences in my education. <laughs> mm. uh, so, you know, you think about it, we're we're really pumped through these systems that are all connected, um, that set us up for this perfect storm, which is what we're facing today. To be in this, and to be speaking out about things, but also having to be willing to take a lot of arrows, simply for asking questions, and raising very valid points that deserve discussion. It's been so bizarre to watch how quickly people get angry. It's not even just confusion, or what do you mean by that? Or I'm confused by what you're saying. The response is visceral anger when we're speaking out. And that's been so fascinating to me to think, wow, like why, why are you mad about this when this should be a conversation that we're able to have in a healthy way? And that just isn't happening.
0: I know. I, I used to think that I would drop a knowledge bomb on someone and that they would actually thank me.
1: No, <laughs> that's never the that's case. That's not what happens. <laughs> That's but not I, what
0: happens at all. But I really I spent a lot of time researching this, and I'm sharing it with you. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's it's what got me sort of into it was reading Malcolm Gladwell books and being really interested in, in in psychology and yeah, and um and then realizing that it's like people who really understand the human mind much better than we do. Yes, had took that information and then squeezed it and took full advantage, and built these systems around it where they yeah. knew that you know, it's like cognitive dissonance where yes, you know, it's so much easier to, to fool someone than it is to convince them that they've been fooled. Yes. That whole idea. Yes. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, have mm-hmm. you gone back? And I'm sure you have I'm gonna go read your blog. Now I want to follow along with your journey <laughs> of waking up. Um, because it is it's it's like a tidal wave of information. Mm-hmm. And then it's it I always ask myself, what was the moment where I started to connect the dots? It's a weird because it's little by little where you little like, by oh, little. My. Yeah, um, have you gone back personally to like figuring out, okay, who set these systems up? Who set up the education system? Who originally like a hundred years ago set up the medical system and how it all came to be? Is that part of
1: yeah, that? yeah, going back into the Western medical system and and the overhaul by the Rockefellers was nothing short of like, uh, absolutely mind blowing epiphany as part of my journey and understanding what the heck led us here, uh, to have this many people fooled and this few people aware and so much division. Um, so yeah, the, the medical system is a wormhole I've gone down. Um, but my, uh, gravitation has always been towards our political system and this is something that inadvertently I have become a voice for in Canada is is kind of breaking down how our political system works and uh, its function who's involved how it was created all of these different types of things because while we understand that there's a much larger issue at play here. There's a lot of key players across every single sector, every single industry. This thing is like an octopus with hundreds of tentacles into into every facet of our world. And we know that there are very few key orchestrators in this that are pulling all the strings. I can't help but bring myself back to, well, where was my role in this? Because it's, it's easy to sit back and think, oh my gosh, these huge powers and, and look at all of this money and look at what they're doing to us and, and look at how infiltrated they are into everything in our world is a whole other conversation to have with yourself. But how did I let this fly under my radar? How did I not see this coming? How did I um, facilitate it unknowingly? How have I perpetuated uh, these things occurring while I just kind of naively went about living my life. And that's what's brought me to these political discussions uh, because, because by I the believe way, that's,
0: that is such an um, evolved thing to say because we typically just want to, we don't want to take accountability for anything, just generally no, in life. It's, it's not like, fun. <laughs> we're all, right. It's like to yeah, own, to a own good. all yeah. of that. Yeah. It's yeah. so much easier just to always blame the big bad wolf that's sort of, you don't Mm. really know who they are. Um, Anyway, sorry to cut you off. That's, that's such a great point. I mean, I've heard so few people bring that up with something of such magnitude where everything's corrupt to then say, how am I, you know, involved in that?
1: Well, that's what restores our power. Right. And, and the, the fear that we're feeling is generated from a sense of powerlessness feeling like we can't do anything about this. This is too big. There are not enough of us speaking out. And then that you start to feel the tidal wave of horror coming into your life. And that's what then causes people to kind of throw their arms in the air and be like, well, there's nothing I can do about this because it's too big. I'm just one person. So when we accept some form of accountability, it means that we played a role in it. If, it, if we played a role in it, then that therefore means that we can play a role in getting out of it too. But we have to be armed with knowledge. We have to be armed with an understanding of how our systems work. We have to be armed with a true sense of belief that we actually do have what it takes as the quote unquote, little people to be able to enact the change that we're looking for, even if other people don't see what we see yet. And that's what's led me to um, sharing what I share now, which is largely politically based, which is not necessarily a fun and exciting form of content creation that I saw in my future. (laughs) Um, But the amazing part is how engaged people are in this. And how willing people are to uh, recognize that, wow, this is absolutely something that I have never paid attention to before in my life. It's something maybe people do get to the polls, maybe they don't. Maybe when they do go to the polls, um, they're just kind of asking who they should vote for, usually based on what the media is pumping out, right? And that thought process isn't there. And I truly believe that these powers that be completely understood the fact that the bulk of the Canadian population, uh, the voting public is largely uninformed, largely unaware of how our systems work uh, and all things like that. So that's been the angle that I've seen my ability to start being tactical about creating solutions as opposed to just the rapid fire of guys, look at this, look at this, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, because that's, Mm. that's our, our like response being like, we just got to try and get as many people to understand this as humanly possible. And that's when you just start flinging information out left, right, and center. Mm. But you mentioned earlier, you can, you can spend hours researching something and you can put a bow on it and give it to someone be like, look, I, I have proof and they won't hear you. Mm. So throughout my wake up journey, I stopped putting my energy into trying to get people to wake up and started putting my energy into, I need to do what I can to strengthen the people who are awake so that they feel as though they have enough power to keep them propelled moving forward to keep them rooted in what they're standing for and to keep as many voices in the game as humanly possible, as opposed to trying to get more to come on through. Because I believe that it's our sense of conviction. It's our sense of this is what we're saying that starts to get people to kind of turn their head and think they're really serious about what they're ranting about over there. Maybe I should maybe just start to pay attention in the background. Hmm. So the more of us that are are feeling um, grounded in what we're seeing and and empowered in what we're capable of doing within the systems that exist, agree with them or not, they're what we have. So if we're gonna beat this system, we gotta use the system to our advantage. But in order to use a system, we gotta understand how it works.
0: There are so many people who have a a judgment or preconceived notion of uh of people who spit this kind of knowledge and maybe rightfully so there's a lot of people just getting in front of a webcam and screaming and pointing (laughs) and foaming at the mouth and they're (laughs) angry and rightfully so but it turns a lot of people off yeah that's what I love about how you present these ideas because like people look at you and go oh she's just like a an intelligent human like just calm. And uh, well, most of the time, we're calm.
1: most, but, most of the time, right? Uh, <laughs> right?
0: I have but moments. <laughs> I, I think it's great for people who are who are meeting you for the first time. And because they felt, especially with just what just happened in Ottawa, wow, something really is wrong with the mainstream media. And they're, they're now they're dipping their toe in. Can you give us a little I mean, I know you don't have all day, but um, a little 50,000 foot view of what you think is going on in the political system or how it's run? Like, I know the rabbit hole goes deep and it's so incredibly complex, but for someone now who thinks, well, they could never pull that off or how could they all like the the initial wall that goes up right now, they've got your attention. They think, okay, this, this, this person's pretty cool. Can you give us a little taste of what it looks like from far up?
1: Yeah. And you're right. The first guard that goes up is there's no way this many people could be involved And the way that I've described this is that speaking specifically to the pandemic, when that first started to kind of boil up and people started going, well, wait a minute here. Is this making sense? Like, what are we doing? Things are starting to feel a little bit wonky. The immediate trust goes into, well, well this person's saying it, and, and the media's saying it, and this doctor's saying it, and there's no way that all of these people could be involved in something that is so grandly orchestrated. But speaking to the way that our systems work, if we think about a situation being curated and placed before groups of professionals, whether they are media-related, whether they're law enforcement, whether they're medical... If a situation is placed before them, their protocol kicks in and their job is to respond to the situation that is placed before them. So even though we're frustrated as all hell with so many of these people, they're just doing their job. They weren't part of some grand meeting where, you know, 500,000 professionals got together in some secret location to orchestrate something. And that's where people's heads go. That's why there's no way that this could be something greater than what this is. But when a situation is created and placed before a professional, it's now just their job to respond. This is no different than a situation being created in Ottawa and law enforcement getting there and having to do their job and respond. So what we're seeing is this um, methodology of create the problem, and then the people that are there to provide the solution just go in and provide the solution. We see this in our political field too. We see this in a sense where let's create an issue so that this campaign can then solve the problem and allow us to get ahead by rallying more votes because we appear to be the people with the solution. My huge issue in Canada specifically is the fact that we have state-funded media, which is incredibly concerning because that means there's always, no matter what, no matter what, if you're getting paid hundreds of millions, billions to produce news for the general public, there's always going to be a slant towards it being pro-government. So without critical thought on the part of the citizens watching and consuming this information, it turns into propaganda. There's no two ways about it. I don't know how anyone could successfully argue the fact that this is not propaganda, what's coming off of our major media news outlets in Canada. So when we think about... um, how something of this size can be orchestrated using the systems that we have. The systems are already there and ready to be able to support something of this magnitude simply by having a situation drop in, everybody disperses and responds and does their job. My concern has been, and I know this from being in any type of work setting, when you are in your job, your focus naturally is narrowly pointed towards the issue right in front of you. And it takes a lot of personal work to be able to pull yourself up and see the larger picture. And you can see the politicians who have done that work to think, hold on a second here. This isn't feeling quite right. Roman Baber is a perfect example of this. He pulled himself out, risked everything, just like you did by speaking out and said, wait a minute here. What is this issue that we're all so tightly woven into and hyper-focused on? What's happening outside of this? And it takes brave people like that to be able to start slowly shifting the dialogue. My concern though, is how how do we make this dialogue happen faster, please? Um, So that more people are gaining that courage. And that's what was so devastating about the dismantling of the freedom uh, convoy in Ottawa was that that was our pillar of courage. That was the thing that started uh, helping people think, okay, I'm not alone. Maybe it is safe for me to speak up. Maybe it is okay. Maybe if I am a politician, I will have more support on this than I think I would based on what I'm seeing there. And we know that that's why it was dismantled. Mm. (laughs) We know it wasn't dismantled because it was violent. We know it wasn't dismantled because there were terrible people in that crowd. All aside from a, a couple of hateful things that were seen there that we can all agree we condemn that crap. The freedom movement was dismantled because it was such a threat to these systems, because it was gaining traction, not just in Ontario, but across Canada, across the world, arming people with courage to be able to stand up to some of these systems and start Mm. asking different questions, start speaking up, start having uncomfortable conversations and dialogue with people in their lives.
0: Yeah. Hope for the first time in years.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's why it was so devastating to watch it. Fall down, right? Because that was a huge pillar of hope and a huge pillar of courage for people to start doing something.
0: Well, I think a lot of people, because um, you've now got this new amassed fan base of people that are turned on to what you're saying. Yeah, you, you were in that that video that went viral. <laughs> are you in your car. I don't want to bring up a crying video, but <laughs> I have to, because it made my wife yeah. cry. Yeah. Um. I remember my wife and I were sitting on the couch and she was like tearing up, and I'm like, "What What is going on for you right now? Oh, wow. And um, we watched it again together, and God, I just. I'm learning how emotional I actually am this, this last, like, you know, how many Same months. Same here. Just the moment of watching that and you um, sort of, I guess, narrating this. Well, you tell us. You're narrating sort of yeah. the journey that you're taking to Ottawa.
1: Okay. It is uh, 3.45 a.m. on Monday, January 24th, and I just left my house. Oh, fuck. I'm emotional. <sighs> well this I think that morning spoke to the desperation in me and it was a decision that I made with my husband literally the night before we were about to eat dinner and I was sitting there and I, I felt a mixture of nausea and excitement and courage and fear. And it was just this thing brewing in me. I said to him, I said, honey, I, th- I need to go to Ottawa. Like, I think I need to go to Ottawa. And my husband, God love him, is so used to my, my radical moves I make in my life. He's like, oh, kind of figured you would. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so it was, a, it was a very split second decision, but it was such a pull. It was such a pull that I didn't even feel like I had a choice. And I knew the uh, convoy was leaving out of Red Deer in Calgary, bright and early the next morning. And so there I was that evening packing suitcases, trying to figure out what the heck I was, in. didn't know where I was going to stay. Uh, didn't didn't know what the heck was going to happen 24 hours, 72 hours out, two weeks out. Didn't know when I'd be home. And this poll I felt was knowing how much power this convoy could have in this movement and being terrified that it would go unnoticed because of our media outlets and their very selective process in covering and not covering things that suit the government's narrative. So that was my purpose in going. I'm like I I can't I have to go document this. I I can't I can't let this fly under the radar. People have to know about this and my gosh by the time we got to Calgary And all I could see was a sea of transports and humans. I was like, oh my word, like this is way bigger than I thought it was. So I started thinking, wow, okay, this is really something. Um, And then starting to travel, I went to the Saskatchewan border and I turned around, I came home, like there's no hiding this thing. There's no hiding it. There were thousands of people. In every community that we went through, the bridges were full and we're talking rural Alberta here, not big towns. And I had such a shift in my perspective about what was coming because that morning when I got in my car and I left my house, it was like quarter to four in the morning. Um, like you said, I'm I'm really getting in touch with my emotions lately through this. And I lost it, like it, it all of a sudden just started pouring out of me and something made me say, you got to record this because it's going to resonate with people. That was, that was pain, real pain and desperation, almost like if this doesn't work, I don't know what we're going to do. And this is why I've got to go. And that was that clip that I then turned into that, that um, Instagram post that went viral because it did resonate with so many people. People felt the pain in my voice. People resonated with the words that I had on the screen of just knowing what we have been through that so many people don't, don't have a clue what this journey has been like from a heartache standpoint. So, Mm. having those polarizing uh, emotional experiences all within the span of about 14 hours, I came home that night feeling relieved and safe for the first time in ages. We're going to be okay. There's no hiding this. This is too big. And for those three weeks or so that that convoy stood strong in Ottawa, that sense of safety as a Canadian citizen had been restored in me for the first time. And I think it was really noticeable for all of us, how far gone we were from feeling safe as Canadian citizens.
0: Man, I'm getting misty-eyed. You just, <laughs> cause you're, you're saying exactly how I felt like yeah. exactly, like exactly. And so many people have the feelings, millions of people and just don't have the words. They don't know how to, it just builds up as frustration. And it's the exact feeling that you had when you were like, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm there with you driving and suddenly, oh my God, look how many people there are. Oh my God. (sighs) I feel like elated. I feel hopeful. Oh my God. I'm being pulled out of this dark pit and I have like faith that things are going to go in the right way. That exact thing happened to me. Just, I thank God for Instagram because Watching these videos and these people who edit the the sad music oh. or the inspirational music with the flags in slow motion, I'm like, oh, oh it gets you. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm like, yes. I mean, that's what got me to to speak out on my on my uh, yes. mainstream radio show because I just felt like, okay, there are people who get it.
1: There are people are waking
0: up. This is the wave. I'm gonna grab my board and like swim swim out to the wave or yep. forever, not. And so, um, you know, of, of course, two days later, you go, honey. Uh, <laughs> I lost that that really great job I had. <laughs> but, uh,
1: gotta right? start a gotta start a podcast
0: <laughs> quick. Do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know my picture was on a billboard, but now my picture can just be on an Instagram grid. Picture. Yes, everything's
1: fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you're 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 a perfect example of exactly the power of that movement though. And that's what made it so damn threatening to to this whole situation and agenda that's dangling over our heads right now is because of how much courage it was making us regular old Canadians feel stepping up in ways we've never done before, because we're usually pretty quiet, go with the flow kind of people. And all of a sudden those scales started to tip. I mean, we all felt it. We all knew that we were winning that fight, mm-hmm. but they knew too, right? If you, you start getting big names, radio hosts and, and, uh, television news anchors and and all sorts of people thinking, um, I have something that I want to share with you.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And I may go down for this, but I'm willing to die on this hill. Yeah, and that's wow. what I don't think people understand is that this isn't a, a regular everyday little occurrence that we're just happening happening to be a little upset about. I think I can safely speak for the majority of us in this fight that the sacrifices we've made up until this point, we're willing to go down on this hill in the name of what we're standing for. And that's what I give all of us such huge props for is being able to weather the carnage (laughs) that comes with this, the hate, the ridicule, the shaming, the ostracization, um, the literal becoming a second-class citizen for, for many of us who chose not to get vaccinated. I mean, there's so many horrible, hard things that we have faced for, but we're not willing to let it go.
0: I've heard it described as um, emotional shockwave, um, you know, your reality being shattered. Yep. I can see why people don't want to give give in. They, they're Absolutely. uncomfortable and they just sort of step back. and. But now <laughs> you've gone through it so many people are just tippy toeing around it. Can you tell us a little bit about what are the things now that are concerning you the most? I mean, there's, I wrote down some of the WF uh, digital IDs mandates in BC, Mm -hmm. universal basic income, the bills that are being passed right now in the in the house, there is so much there's so much. Um, What do you find most alarming for you now? And what should we be really focusing our attention on at the moment?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Ta-da. Um, yeah, and that's that's the that's the thing I think people struggle with the most, which is why I think our message on, and I hate saying this side of the fight, but just for lack of, of better description, those of us that are using our voices, um, we risk losing our credibility when we try and tackle it all. And it feels so tempting to tackle it all. There's also a, a strange phenomenon I'm witnessing now about now I got to be the first person to out a conspiracy theory. And it's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> but let's not lose the momentum that we have by trying to be the person that knows all the things or is the first person to understand all the things or the first person to break news on something and pick a lane. <laughs> yeah. Pick a lane that resonates with you for me it's our political system because I can dissect that I can simplify it I can help people understand what's happening with bills what the process is for bills to be passed in our parliament um, and how those different types of legislation or law can easily be morphed into this greater agenda at play and that's where I play that's where my lane is there's Thank God, so because
0: much. I don't play there.
1: No, most people don't, and there's be, a reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, like it's very complex, and I know that there are three big bills that are being discussed now. Sort of while we're focused on yeah. otherworldly things. So this yeah. is great that you can maybe, if you don't mind, telling yeah. us about the bills.
1: Yeah, actually, the uh, ba- Basic Livable Income Act. So universal income is is basically what it is, just worded differently. Uh, So there's Bill 223 in the House of Commons, and there's Bill S-233 in the Senate right now, which is a pretty historical thing because the Senate introduced the same bill as a show of solidarity for the MP, the NDP MP that introduced it in the House of Commons. So these two are running in parallel with one another through the House and through the Senate. The interesting interesting thing about how our, our parliament works is that a bill has to be approved by both in order to given royal assent which essentially means it is now official it's law or it's legislation or it's policy whatever it is so the thing that i think is really important for people to understand similar to what i mentioned earlier about people are just doing their job so without understanding how the political system works. We see these posts about bills being passed in the House of Commons and everyone goes, oh my God, it's happening. And you know, it's like, well, hold on a second because you know, this wasn't Trudeau himself putting this before the House and saying, guys, we're moving forward with the Great Reset. Here's the bill, let's get it passed. This was from a member of parliament from a totally different party. And universal income is not new for the NDP to be wanting. I believe they see it as a grand opportunity to be able to introduce something like this because so many people are suffering right now, because so many people are out of work for obvious reasons, because so many people um, have lost their businesses, because so many businesses have gone under and layoffs have taken place. Now we have all of these people who now need more income solutions so it's important to understand how these things originate because if we see things online, we make a snap judgment that Trudeau himself is up to no good and he's pushing through the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab's pulling all the strings. It's, it's more of an example of this is actually regular parliamentary proceedings that's happening right now. The timing is just magnificent. Mm. So it's interesting um, to watch these Uh, conversations occur in both the House and the Senate, because uh, the Senate, in my opinion, is a whole lot more digestible to listen to. The conversation dialogue is a lot more respectful. The House of Commons is just a bunch of rhetoric, um, and I don't know how we as Canadian citizens allow them to continue to get away with such useless dialogue in the House of Commons. But again, we've been ignorant. We have kind of kept our head in the sand when it comes to how our political system works, and they've just been able to kind of get away with not really coming up with real solutions in the House of Commons without a bunch of ridicule and 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 blaming and and finger pointing, just juvenile behavior. It's atrocious to watch. So yeah, these bills coming up, timing impeccable. Uh, so we say they timing easily... is impeccable. Mm-hmm. So
0: if you, um, what's that code for? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Code for this plays right into the agenda. Right, we know that uh, universal income f- falls right in line with "you'll own nothing and you will be happy." Universal Which is for
0: people who don't know—that's the catchphrase from. It's the
1: catchphrase from Schwab himself. The idea of more government intervention is the goal here. In order for them to have more government intervention, they need more ways in which we are dependent upon them. And if those ways don't exist naturally, this is where I mentioned earlier, we create the problem so we can offer the solution. So having something like a universal income solves a lot of problems for a lot of people. But it also, we can't be naive here. It also gives the government the opportunity to exert more control over the individuals who are benefiting from these solutions. And as we saw in the freedom convoy, bank accounts were frozen. Single mother in British Columbia, her bank account was frozen. What did she donate? 20 bucks, 30 bucks? Probably in an act of her own desperation, just no different than me getting in my vehicle that morning. I got to do something. And her bank account was frozen. So if we apply that to universal income, but it's the government now that's giving the money, what powers does that give them? And those are the types of questions we need to start asking. Even though when we ask them, we get publicly ridiculed like no other. um, This is the direction we're heading. There's no two ways about it. So being understanding of what bills are on the table, regardless of who put them there. Being able to dissect how this could or could not play into a larger agenda is is where our focus needs to be right now as Canadians, for sure.
0: And it's very relatable to know, like, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. like Exactly. When, at, you don't go out and slam your boss on Facebook. No. Because do you think that's going to play out for you really nicely? So no. it makes sense that if you are getting your your entire income just from the government every month. And you were to go on and say something bad about the government on Instagram. Mm-hmm.
1: Like that's not a stretch at all, right? It's not. And we've seen a taste of it for a nonviolent protest. <laughs> yeah. So imagine, um, you know, if, if there's a government in power that does not want to be challenged and wants things to be done a certain way, Um, That's where I have big concerns. Are there people who need solutions to support them and uh, take them out of homelessness and avoid homelessness? Absolutely. And anyone with a beating heart would want nothing more than for these people to have basic solutions and income provided. There should be no one living on our damn streets in Canada. But when we create these offerings, let's just say, is that solving a problem or is it creating dependence? And when we create dependence, are we as citizens likely to exercise our own autonomy across a variety of things? And this is where the critical conversations come into play. Because if you say, oh, I don't agree with universal basic income, well, then I guess you don't care about homeless people. I guess you don't care about those who are living in poverty. I guess you don't care, right? You must be some right-wing radical. And that's that's where our dialogue ends. As opposed to thinking, well, no, that's not true at all. <laughs> I do believe that there should be not a single homeless person in Canada. It's wild to me. It's wild to me that we don't have clean drinking water in all of our communities in Canada. But when we start asking the harder questions of what happens When we start depending on the government, maybe we weren't even dependent before, but now we know we have this fail safe. Are we going to be the best version of ourselves, knowing that there's always going to be this parachute here to catch us? Are there going to be more people? Um, using these systems than actually need it? Is it going to take away from the people who genuinely do need solutions like this? And when, yeah, you have someone handing you that money every month or or every two weeks, are you likely to disagree with them even when something is really worth disagreeing? Mm -hmm. Are you likely to use your voice? Are you worried that if you vote differently in the next election because you're a little concerned about what you're seeing here, that you may lose that benefit. Mm. And we saw that with uh, the last SNAP election that Trudeau called as well, the uh, child tax credit benefit, which millions of Canadian families benefit from. But even though his campaign that he ran was incredibly concerning and the dialogue he was using was very divisive, dangerous, I would even go so far as to say, Um, people knew that if they didn't vote for Trudeau, that was a benefit that they may lose out of their home. Mm. And this is the slippery slope. So are we okay then with government overreach, so long as we are financially benefiting? And that's my concerns with some of these bills is we just, we have to be aware of them first and foremost, we have to understand how they originated, who brought them forward, what the opposition's saying, and what phase of readings they're in. Are they even close to being passed? Neither of these bills are close to being passed in the house or the Senate, but they're there.
0: What's the name of that bill? The basic universal income,
1: uh, bill? the one in the house is bill C two two three and the Senate bill which is the mirror of this one, uh, is Bill S-233. <laughs> How they,
0: do you remember all this stuff?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Uh, and I believe there's another bill. It's all Is it a censorship bill? Yes. Oh, boy. Okay.
1: Yeah, and this is another confusing one because it was introduced as Bill C-10 in the House of Commons.
0: I remember seeing uh, a lot of that on Instagram, like, stop bc B, uh, Bill C-10.
1: yeah. Yes, so this one has already actually been passed in the House of Commons. June 21st, 2021 was the date that it went through. The middle of the night, actually, is when they decided that it was going to pass in the House, which was shady beyond all means. Um, It is now with the Senate. So there's a lot of talk out there about emailing your MPs about Bill C-10. It is out of the MPs' hands now. Uh, Because it's already passed the House and now it's got to go through the Senate. And the Senate is structured completely different than the House, which adds a whole other layer of confusion on who do we talk to and and who's on whose side, which is why it's so important to at least spend some time either reading through a transcript or just painfully watching CPAC, (laughs) if you can manage to get yourself through it, just to get an understanding of who's who in this circus um but yeah it's now bill c11 because it has ascended onto the senate so bill c10 is actually no longer the formal name for it it's bill c11 and what i find to be concerning is again we're in such a divisive world where if we say i'm i'm not sure about this it's automatically publicly equated to well you must not care about this group of people and And this is where we're at a really dangerous, precarious position as a society, because we're largely incapable of supporting one thing and being vehemently opposed to something else that may be attached to it at the same time. And unless we can start having those real conversations, um, we're I'm worried about where we're at as Canadians. But with this bill specifically, it's positioned as uh, making it easier for Canadian content creators to have proper space on the internet and not become secondary to, you know, other countries like the US who dominate. Which, well,
0: um, real quick, coming from a radio broadcasting background, we have that at radio stations where it's law. Yes. That stations have to play like, you know, 35, sometimes 40% Canadian artists. Yes. Mixed in. And yes. the argument's been like, well, to support Canadian artists, but you're like, okay, well, people can go to Spotify and have like, let's be honest. It's
1: it's archaic, right? It's the CRTC is the, they're basically in this act underneath all of the fine print. You can see that it is about being able to dictate what comes on Canadian airwaves by way of social media through CRTC broadcasting standards, which impacts hugely private media outlets, AKA not the ones funded by the government. It impacts voices like mine. It impacts voices like yours on independent, independent mm -hmm, people who are broadcasting. Um, They're now trying to kind of scoop us up. And this is super layman's terms here, but just kind of scoop us up and, and bulk us under the CRTC which then gives some sweeping powers to be able to have a say in what we would like to say, but it's in the name of promoting Canadian content and diversity of Canadian content. So again, when you say I'm against bill C 10, uh, the immediate clapback is well, you must not care about marginalized Canadian communities that don't get as much broadcasting time as others. And that's where, the dialogue stops. Mm. And this is why we're in such an unhealthy position um, is because we're not allowing ourselves to have these nuanced conversations about, yes, I absolutely agree. Canadian content creators need more visibility. I absolutely agree that marginalized communities need to have just as much visibility as non-marginalized communities. It would be heartless of me to think or say otherwise. Of course, but we also can't give away our freedom of speech on the internet in the same sweep, and that's where these bills, without fully combing through them and thinking where's the where's the angle here that they could potentially now use this legislation as a means to control our dialogue. So that bill is now sitting with the Senate, um, and it is. Uh, it would be historical for the Senate. It would be historical for the Senate to deny a, a bill that has been passed by the house. It typically, if it gets passed by the house, typically it gets passed by the Senate. Um, this one will be interesting though, to see, because there's just, there's so much public outcry. Um, it'll be difficult for the Senate to ignore. So I'm super interested to see what they do. Wow.
0: And then I started thinking about how that would be implemented if it gets passed, um, that leads me into thinking about like a social credit score system type thing.
1: Yeah. 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 Good behavior. Say what we would like you to say online and we'll and we'll bump up your your social credit score. It's I know I know it's it's oh. mind-bending, right? And for those that aren't in this wormhole, I'm sure they think that we've just completely drank the Kool-Aid, but this is our reality. Right? <laughs> yes. like, this is our reality. And, and I understand why um, people don't allow themselves to explore this because you mentioned it earlier it is a train wreck emotional and spiritual and mental train wreck to unpack all of this Um, because it goes against everything we're taught it goes against our perception of reality so to acknowledge what is happening before us means a destruction of the world as we know it
0: Mm. because the two
1: the two can't exist together
0: and that's what's so difficult I don't know how much time you have, but because we've got you here and we touched on social credit and again, some people are just like, okay, I like this woman. (laughs) She explains things like very simply. Um, Can you give us a quick overview on like, make the leap from, okay, so what's this about social credit? I can't say what I want to say on the internet without there being a repercussion. Can you give us a 50,000 foot view on on
1: Yeah, I think the the easiest thing that's probably... um helpful to your listeners to relate it to is the idea of our credit score that we have right now and that's been something that has really kind of tripped me out too it's like well, well how did we even get to having a credit score that allows the banks to dictate how much house we get like that that's a, a hole that I'm currently in thinking like how did we get to that like who made that rule right? But in order to relate it to something that we already know, we know that if we go to the bank for a loan, we're either going to get the loan or we're not. And it's going to be a certain amount of this or lesser amount of this based on a credit score that is uh, largely based off of compliance for making sure that you're paying key businesses and banks when you're supposed to. So it's behavior based. If we really break it down, if you don't pay your TELUS bill for 90 days, it's going to impact your credit score. And therefore you may not be able to go buy that truck or because you now went and bought this truck. Um, and because you were late on two payments, you may not be able to afford as much house as you thought you were going to be able to afford. So in a very basic way, if we look at how we are, our behavior is controlled, because we know that if we don't do these things financially, we're putting ourselves at risk for not being able to have the things that we want and need by way of loans from the banks. So now if we put the word social in front of credit score, this just basically opens us up to, okay, well, if I'm going to have a bank credit score, a social credit score is more or less uh, how, how much of a model citizen you are or aren't. The scary thing is the people who define What it means to be a model system are the people that run the system, meaning that if we don't do the things, say the things, not say the things, behave the way that they would like us to not behave the way that they don't want us to, can they impact our behavior and what we're allowed to do, not allowed to do, take part in, not take part in by way of social credit scores? No different than we've seen um, with the vaccine passports. That was a model for us to get a taste of what that would be like. You didn't get your vaccine. We're pulling this away from you. You didn't model the behavior that we wanted to see in you as a society and under the name of public health, you are no longer allowed to, and then list all the things that Still to this day, I can't wrap my head around the fact that I can't get on a plane in Canada. And so many people don't know this. Even Canadians don't know this. I can't get on a plane because I made a different decision than the government wanted me to. If there was something terrible that happened here in Canada and I needed to flee, which, hey, I'm not going to lie. It's crossed my mind. The same. But the fact that if I wanted to do that, I would have to cross the border illegally because I can't leave my own country. I can't up until recently, couldn't go out for dinner. Couldn't go watch a hockey game.
0: We still can't in, in Vancouver.
1: Right. I'm sorry. I'm in, I'm in Alberta. <laughs> We're pretty free out here. Thinking about you guys all the time out there. But this is, this is a taste of what social credit systems can do by way of a little tiny QR code of you either did the thing that we, that we wanted you to do or you didn't. And no different than, well, sorry, I guess you don't have that $800,000 mortgage. We're only going to give you $350,000 instead. That same concept is applied to our social world and what we can and can't do what we're allowed to take part in or not. And then when you tie it all together, you think about that little QR code on the phone. You think about the concept of universal basic income. You think about um, all the things, the censorship bill, it perfect storm, right? Perfect storm. And that's why we need to know what the hell is going on.
0: Yeah. Wow. It just, Especially when you lay it out like that, it just infuriates me that some people just can't put it together. It's, it's so obvious.
1: It's maddening. So but again, they're, they're protecting themselves, right? Because yeah. to, to come to terms with this um, is devastating. Mm. It really is devastating. There, there's no way to avoid complete and utter heartbreak and grief. Uh, that was yeah. the a word that I used with my therapist in the fall. I'm like, I'm grieving and I don't I can't really put my finger on what I'm grieving. I just know that it hits me like a tidal wave every mm. now and then where um you know, your, your your world that you knew has crumpled right in front of you. And that's not easy to take. So I I understand why people are subconsciously avoiding Um, thinking about these things, but at the same time, I, I also want to shake them and be Uh, like, please wake up because we need you. We need you in this fight. We need your voice. We need more people empowered with knowledge and understanding of how our systems work. Um, because like I said earlier, if if we're going to beat the system, we have to know how it works and we got to play it from the inside.
0: You're the VIP. (laughs) You're starting lineup on the truth team.
1: <laughs> oh this is so great.
0: Everyone needs to hear this conversation and follow you. Thank and you. um wow. Wow. It's a lot. Where, where can people connect with you? Because people are gonna oh, fall in love with you and want to <laughs> hang on every word that you have to say, including myself.
1: Oh, you're the best. Um, it's it's been crazy because it was one of those it, no different than me jumping out of my corporate job, be like, I'll just figure this out. I don't need a plan. Um, that's what I did with my personal. Uh, account at I am Sarah Swain on Instagram. I'm like, I'm I'm just going to start. I have no idea how this is going to end. I don't know if I'm going to regret this, but I ended up with this growing number of people coming to me for political stuff, understanding news, understanding systems, bills, all these stuff. So I've separated that now over at my uh, other Instagram account, trailblazer media group, uh, where I have uh, those more up-to-date current conversations um, and educational bits on what we need to have on our radar right now, especially while there's a potential world war going on. Uh, my job right now is to keep everybody focused on, on what else is happening. Uh, cause there's enough people covering what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, my job is not to be the breaking news specialist of what building has been bombed over there, um, or, or what suffering and, and tragedy is, is happening over there. Uh, my job is to say, don't forget what's happening here very, very quietly. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. the type of content I put out there.
0: Well, I love learning from you. I'm with you, I'm part of your tribe. And uh, I hope that we can talk again. (laughs)